All right. I'm Hiller Latoya. I am the artistic director of DNA Theatre and have been so for over 30 years. Now, sitting across the table from me is Michael Reinhardt. Now, who the hell is Michael Reinhardt? Um, he is one of the five core members of this theatrical thing called Elephants Collective. I'll say that again. Elephants Collective. And um, uh, Michael is uh, 35 now, so he's not quite half my age, or he's a little over half of my age. And um, Elephants uh, is a Toronto thing that was founded in 2014. So, I think we're going to dispense with all of this silliness of how are you today and oh how lovely to have you here Excellent. doing this thing. Correct. And we're just going to jump right in and um, you are going to tell me about the formation of the collective. How did elephants come about? Oh, um, weirdly, uh, Theatre Pastor Marai um, in 2013 uh, brought together kind of a group of disparate artists in an experiment, I think, on their part, uh, to stick us in a room and uh, see if we would survive together uh, for a period of time. And so this group came together and we built a very small piece uh, over the course of a three-month residency and then after that, they invited us to come back and make a show. And they gave us two weeks, two and a half weeks. And I'm giving them some credit on that one. Uh, and we decided to build um, a first draft of a piece called Wake for Lost Time. Um, after the residency ended, um, TPM was kind of done with our time with them. And a group of the artists decided to continue together as uh, Elephants Collective. And from there, we have been together now for two years of kind of perpetual training and making. So the first, so the, the, the Passamurai three-month thing, mm -hmm. um, how many people were involved? Obviously all five core. Yep. Uh, actually, no. Um, initially, uh, it was 12 artists. Um, of which seven of them uh, were still together at the formation of Elephants Collective. Um, and then uh, one is a fairly well-to-do poet, and so was constantly away, so he now works as an associate artist. Uh, another went to National Theatre School uh, for directing. Um, and then one left us. And then at the conclusion of uh, the show we do most often currently, um, called Awake for Lost Time. We brought in a array of new artists to work on the project and we invited two of them to stay on with us to uh, continue to develop work and continue to build this collective thing. <laughs> okay, um, so ultimately speaking, even though you've been around for a little over two years or two and a half years, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the nature of the collective is fluid. 
Absolutely. There's an ebb and flow that exists within this group. Um, and, and inevitably so. I mean, uh, to have a group that um, is working together at all times and part of uh, membership into the company means that we're working together at least twice a week, even when we don't have a project in um, physical training and uh, creation and research. Um, those standards that, uh, um, that we expect as part of, as being part of the group, um, are not necessarily, uh, conversant with like a contemporary Toronto theater ecology or living in the city in general. So it's just difficult to maintain that type of rigor and, you know, pay your rent or, um, to maintain the, uh, the work that the collective requires and, maintain your exterior practices. Um, and so inevitably, uh, we see some people leave, we see some people go on a hiatus. Um, and part of uh, the working model of our collective is how we um, navigate uh, that, that kind of fluidity and uh, those changes in the uh, core members. Okay, so... I don't understand this collective business at all because I've never been in a collective and I personally kind of disdain the whole idea of collectives. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, however, your thing seems to work. Now, what else is, are there rules or in the sense that you said, okay, whether you're working on a specific uh, piece or not, it's your get together twice a week. Is there anything else that's... Uh, like an essential condition for keeping on in the collective? Well, I think the, the, the issue is that um, it's perpetually evolving. Um, so the rules can never be hard and fast. Um, the variety of uh, people and personalities and viewpoints within the collective forces it to be amorphous at all times. Uh, it has to always be willing to change in relationship to the people in it. Um, we, of course, have, uh, have our, our, standard, uh, physical, our, our standard physical training, which uh, comes from an array of different uh, vocabularies. Uh, from my perspective, a lot of work from the work center of uh, Thomas Richards and Jerzy Grotowski. Sorry, who? Uh, Thomas Richards and Jerzy Grotowski. Uh, I trained with them a couple summers ago and brought that physical training back to the collective and it has slowly been adopted as a core tribute of how we work. Uh, as well, one of our other members went and worked at the city company um, in a like a, a summer intensive type thing. City company, Toronto? Uh, city company, New York, um, and Bogart, um, which is a mixture of viewpoints and Suzuki technique. So some of that has been has found its way into our work, but less so uh, as that artist has been less available um, recently. So we, we, we have these kind of two core attributes, or the, rather this one core attribute of our work, which is the training, and that training is perpetual. We also have um, a desire for rigorous dramaturgy and, and as a result, rigorous research. And so the... And that the research guides um, a lot of the building that we make in this group. That uh, we that the research that rigorous um, that the integrity of rigorous research 
is something that the building process can hang its hat on. It can create a collective vocabulary in the same way that uh, the physical training can. Okay, so let's pretend you're not working on a piece. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a, a two-hour session. So how exactly does that work? In the, sec in the sense, uh, like, do four members have a go at have a go at it for 30 minutes and basically say, okay, I want you, I, I want to do this, this, and this in the next 30 minutes. And then that's followed by somebody else or is the entire two hour segment or how does it work? Uh, we would spend an hour and a half. So uh, I, in general, we, we never, we never meet for less than about four hours. Uh, the first hour and a half is training um, and some smoking. And then um, after that, we, it depends on it depends on where we are and what we're thinking about. If we have a an object of interest, then we might uh, produce or um, express some of our research. Um, if we have absolutely no direction at a given time, uh, people might bring in proposals uh, to explore uh, as a group, and a proposal could be a notion, or it could be a realm of research, or it could be a um, an exercise that they attempted somewhere and they would like to explore deconstructing it um, or just simply explore it. Uh, and then in that, in, within that proposal, each artist will follow their notions or follow their expertise or follow the things that they do well, often, and build things. And then we will have that as base material then to continue to explore. Or... Alternately, someone may lead the exercise and um, provide direction to the exercise, and then people will uh, build collectively rather than building in silos. Um, when we do sorry, building in, in silos, silos, uh, building in isolation, building within the realms of our expertise. Uh, that said, when we do build within the realms of our expertise, for example, one of our um, artists, Thomas McKechnie, is a playwright, so. Um, a great deal of what he produces within the company is written. But um, part of how we navigate ownership within the work is by creating things, uh, whether it be a text or a movement score or a type of choreography or a game, and then um, moving it to other collective members to then deconstruct that text or work with that text or explore that text in a different way or tear apart that text or interject in that text so that the thing, um, that the, the, the object is always being um, dramaturged but also uh, reconfigured by other members of the collective until it becomes something that is not one person's contribution. At least this is what we try to do. Sometimes our the theory is often more beautiful or more uh, elegant than practice. <laughs> okay, so you said the first hour and a half or so is taken out by like a, a physical training thing. Yeah. Now, does that follow the same contours um, each time? I'm kind of thinking right now of the um, of how the uh, regular day of a ballet dancer begins, which is with class. And mm -hmm. class always begins with these gentler exercises uh, and, uh, and you're always going to be, um, uh, for example, using the right 
uh, uh, right side of your body and then the left side of the body mm -hmm. and then the upper part of the body and the lower part of the body and it basically is something that's been uh, uh, over the course of uh, centuries obviously evolved but it's basically to get the body in uh, in a shape or in a readiness I should say to um, do whatever is necessary of uh, uh, necessary for whichever choreographer is going to be working right. with them. So that is my question to you. Is the uh, is it sort of like a ballet class or is is the physical first and a half hour all over the place? You just never know. Um, we were fairly consistent in what we do. Uh, we have kind of a, a set a set series of um, of events or or uh, practices that we follow. Um, of course, our goals are um, very different than than you know in in a very very formal movement form. They uh, and this is this is like my own really vague understanding of ballet, which is really limited. Um, but I think it's beautiful. Um, but I don't know a lot about the practices that that artist um, goes through to maintain that body. Um, so, but I can speak to the body that we're trying to maintain. Um, in our work, I mean, our our team is not uh, a group of actors or dancers or. Um, we're we're not so formal. We're we're but but we are all performing bodies, and performing bodies that um, often in our work have to survive duration, um, extreme duration or extreme physical labor. Um, particularly in our performances, we tend to put the body uh, somewhere in the realm of harm's way, uh, and so the body needs to be able to both manage those types of extreme events, but also. We have a lot of um, performed discourse. We, 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 we speak to the audience uh, often um, directly and uh, often engage in conversation where the body has to be flexible um, to navigate the array of possibilities that exist in that kind of discourse. And so um, our training is almost based in um, a virtuosity in organic movement. Uh, nice. Virtuosity in organic movement. Yeah. Okay. Um, any injuries? No. Uh, the training you... It's... I have never seen anyone injured in our training, nor have I seen anyone injured in um, our training, in where we pulled the training from. Uh, we do... The majority of our training is less based on the Suzuki stuff, which is a lot of stomping. Um, stomping? I, yeah, which I feel like is really bad for the knees. But the Grotowski work that we do, it's all core and it's all um, based in bearing your own weight in different tempos and different rhythms and following a gesture through to its conclusion, recognizing that um, perhaps a gesture is just uh, kind of an evolving series of events that the body just keeps going through or keeps lengthening and then decreasing and moving through that the, that the body is a gesture that starts when it is born and ends when it dies. Um, and that all the other gestures are just a, uh, a tempo change or an extension to that one gesture, which is one's life. Um, and so that, I can't remember how I got on that track. Um, but that is the, 
that is the MO of the training, but the tra- uh, injuries. Um, but because of the nature of the training, though it is extremely vigorous, uh, physically rigorous, um, I've never seen an injury. We've, unless people collide in the work, we, we do a gym, um, the, the collective holds a, a public gym uh, for artists in the city where we do our training with them and people just show up and do the training with us. And the training is built so that you really can only do it as hard and precisely as you can do it. And it never gets any easier. The body simply evolves in, in strength and precision. But, um, but as the body becomes more precise or stronger, the training is built so that the body is perpetually challenging itself. There is no, there is no, uh, finality to the work. So it's not like there's some kind of a bar. In other words, you're basically, uh, you use the expression organic something or other, and it sounds like basically that each individual is pushing themselves or pulling themselves or stretching themselves in a way that's challenging, as you said, to themselves, and nobody is going to be going around saying, oh, you should be like um, jumping higher or stomping louder or whatever. Yeah, there's no, there's no such a rubric okay so i think um the uh, the 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 last thing that i want to ask you unless of course you provoke me and, and that is that uh, do i understand then correctly that that first 90 minute chunk of physical training is pretty similar session to session to session to session however the last two and a half hours is who knows exactly what is going to happen? Who knows who is going to bring up what suggestion? Who knows um, what kind of idea is going to come out of someone's mind and whether it is a fruitful, interesting idea or whether it is fascinating to that one person and really tedious to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Uh, we've learned that, you know, uh, a spontaneous space when we're, when we're not building a particular project, but also... A spontaneous space is a valuable one, um, but so is simply being in a space of not knowing together. Um, sometimes it's valuable for the artist to wait. At least this is this has been my experience or my opinion. Um, and that waiting space has always been, or has so far been, a fruitful, a fruitful place for us. Uh, it has given us a space to because the uh, in waiting, waiting's a terrible place. You know, it's there is. There is all of the humanity that happens in waiting, um, particularly when you're people that make things. Um, and so we found too that inhabiting that space of waiting or inhabiting that space of spontaneity or inhabiting that space of conversation um, has been a, a very healthy thing for our collective. Um, waiting together has been something that we've learned to, I don't know, um, it's kind of what, what people who spend a great amount of time together, I suppose, do. They sit and not knowing together, and that somehow strengthens the bond of the group. Well, I say anything leading to greater humanity is a very positive thing. We're shooting for it. And um, I think that waiting has to do with patience and just letting time do its own work, at, because uh, as soon as you rush something... Um, 
I don't know, I personally find rushing really, really unhelpful in any kind of artistic pursuit. I'm not saying ever, 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 because there are times when you just have to make some decisions and they need to be made quickly. But generally speaking, if I have to uh, come up with something, um, I'm always happier to have a greater amount of time than a shorter amount of time. Absolutely. you um, A thing that's evolving uh, requires time to evolve. That's just how things evolve. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, now, I was going to say, how could I get into the collective? But of course, I can't get into the collective because I'm anti-collective. So why would you even <laughs> want me in a collective? Like, you know, if I came to you and said, I'd like to be in your collective, you would say, nonsense, Hiller. I know you hate collectives and don't, like, screw with me. Okay, <laughs> but the question is, um, and it's a double it's a double question and it involves the same thing. And that is, how do you become, how would one become a part of elephants. Can a person come to elephants and say, I'd like to be a part of you? Or vice versa, can elephants approach that person over there and say, we would love it if you would join our collective? Um, problem, I don't think we either would really happen. I mean, people can ask us whatever they want. Um, usually, we come across people in the funniest ways, uh, which is, I guess, like common in life. But we hold a real value in shedding blood together. So to be in shedding, shedding blood together in, in doing some of the work. So in, in our last performance of Awake for Lost Time, we had um, a couple of associate artists who have been in and out of our work for the last couple of years. And then we had a, an array of people who we knew of or had been kind of peripheral to our work or had worked. We have a, a second kind of more informal group uh, at the Katzman Contemporary Gallery where... At what gallery? Uh, the Katzman Contemporary Gallery. It's Katzman. A, yeah. It's a big gallery in the junction. It's beautiful. And they let um, myself and Thomas and the rest of kind of the Elephants team uh, hang out and build work with other people there. So that's often a place for us to test working practices with people, and some of those people join us in our elephants' work. Um, sometimes uh, one of our actresses, we were we needed an actress really badly for a show, and uh, a young woman showed up at our gym, and there was just something about her personality that I thought was wonderful, and she met the group, and she's worked with us ever since. Uh, there's no real rhyme or reason um, how people come in and out of our collective. Uh, it's just occasionally people arrive and some of them stay. Okay. Um, I'm trying to move away from this collective thing, but uh, you know, you just spark my interest about like every time you say something. Um, uh, I'm a little bit, you confused me, okay, Michael? Okay. And that is, you used, I think for the second time, the expression, oh, what was it? Um, not associate artist, associate, uh, what was it again? Oh, associate artist, yeah. It was associate artist. Okay, so, it, 
I'm a little bit confused because on the one hand, I kind of see the Elephants Collective as being, a, you know, a, col a collection of equals. Mm -hmm. But then you throw in the term associate artist or, yep. or and, and do I clarify this for oh, me? Sure. Um, so within our day-to-day, -day, uh, creating without a project or the administration of the company, um, a lot of the book and paperwork that is so desperately tedious... Um, that is handled by kind of a core group of members that deal with that work, um, the company steering as it is. Uh, and then there are a number of other artists who, um, are associates to us who come in when there's a project. Um, that said, in the project itself, it is a collection of equals. But in the grant writing and those type of things, in part because there's no money, uh, we have a core group of members that deal with all of that work, um, deal with sending proposals to theaters and send and writing the whatever the you whatever you write to people who are in charge of things, and those five artists do that work um, and also maintain the constant training. Our associate artists come in and out when there's no project, um, and then when there's a project and they're available for it, they come in and then we build from there. Okay, so it's just, as I said before, very, very fluid. Yeah. And within the collective, uh, certain responsibilities will be taken on by certain people who feel like they're up to it, and other responsibilities are not taken up, or, or different responsibilities or whatever are taken up by different people because they enjoy doing that or they like doing that or they're well suited to that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, I had intended to say this a little bit earlier, so I'm going to say it now. And that is the only reason why, Michael, you are sitting across the table from me and why we are having this conversation is because I find you, oh, how shall I put this? I don't really want to say the most fascinating theater artist, performance artist in Toronto, um, but I can't think of anyone who I, um, whose work I enjoy more and who I enjoy more talking with, and I just think that um, that's why you're here. That's why that's uh, every time we get together and we have our conversations, it, they're always just very stimulating, they're exciting, and uh, one of the great things about you is that you are always open to any kind of criticism or any kind of, um, if criticism is not the right word, then, you know, if I say, well, you know, that part in the show I didn't like, you'll, you know, you're not offended or anything like that, um, and uh, so... I just love you for your open-mindedness, and, and I just have an enormous amount of admiration and respect for you. Let's talk about where that came from. Um, uh, what I'm talking about is that my first encounter with you was at A Wake for Lost Time, and that was in November of 2014. Now, why don't I just just start by saying that I was blown away. I mean, the reason I came to see it was because I was told about 
the collective um, by a friend. And um, you guys had the great luck of performing like literally blocks away <laughs> from my home. So that was like a real big plus. But the most exciting thing that attracted me was the sheer audacity of you guys doing a show that lasted for 24 hours. So if you started the show at 6.30 p.m., you ended it the next day at 6.30 p.m. and the audience was free to come and go as they wished. So, Awake for Lost Time. Um, why don't you tell me how um, that came about? It's always so stupid when someone asks me that question. It's always so stupid when someone asks me that question because um, it came about in the the funniest or the most... I, I suppose it's deeply appropriate. Um, I was... The, the piece or the notion for the piece, when we were still working at Theatre Pass Mirai, uh, we had a week to... Uh, go to the Emerging Artists, or we were supposed to show up at the Emerging Artists group and have a... So you were supposed to what? We were supposed to arrive, the collective or the, the Emerging Artists group was supposed to arrive with a with a proposal to build a show very quickly. And this is the three week, this is the three month, this is, so we're talking about the end of the three month thing. Yeah. And you were supposed to come up with an idea. And well, build a thing. Uh, and... I couldn't think of a piece, and I couldn't think of a piece, and I was really um, worried. And I went to sleep the night before, and I, I sleep with, like, paper around my bed where I can get access to it. And I woke up the next morning with um, a very tiny pink post-it note that said, Awake for lost time, 24 hours. And... So at the meeting that night, everybody came in with these really... Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Are you saying that you don't really... I've got two questions. Are you saying you don't... That this was a, this was a surprise to wake up and say, oh, there is this little pink piece of paper here that says awake for lost time 24 hours. Yeah, it's part of our collective lore. Um, it, was, it, it was completely accidental, and I saw it, and, I, and so... I went to the meeting and everyone had these kind of really relatively refined proposal ideas. And I put down my little post-it note and <laughs> said, it's called Awake for Lost Time. It's 24 hours long. It's a performance wake for lost time. And then we had a democratic vote and decided to make that show. Um, and I've been making it ever since. Okay, you're, you're nuts. Um, uh, which is probably a very, very good thing. Um, by the way, is the sleep... You know, I'm used to people either sleeping alone or sleeping with boys or sleeping with girls. Mm -hmm. But sleeping with papers. Is that because papers... Is, if you get an idea, then you don't really have to exert yourself in the sense of getting out of bed that all you just do is just like scribble something yeah. like in the dark. You don't yeah. even have to turn on the light to disturb your sleep. You just know where your writing implement or implements are and you just do it and then forget about it. I've been doing it for years. I wake up or half wake up with a thought and jot it down in kind of my half, half awake state and then my, I can't go back resist, to sleep. I can't resist asking this. Is this 
Okay, I understand this 100% because this is part of my discipline. Is it also a discipline for you in the sense that it doesn't matter what you feel like when you wake up with that thought, whether you're hungover or whether you're not feeling well or whether you really desperately want to sleep, but the fact that the idea came to you, you just basically have no alternative but to get that pen or whatever it is and just write it down and then go back to sleep because at least the idea will be preserved mm -hmm. and that's it. Otherwise, I know I'll lose it. Um, and I feel like, you know, there are parts of me that are doing some work when I'm asleep, I, it would appear, so I might as well use them Yes. Uh, to the best of my ability. All right, I interrupted you. You were talking about... Uh, um, I think I interrupted you at the point where you basically just said, um, you know what, um, awake for lost time, 24 hours, and you know what it's about? It's awake for lost time. Yeah. And then, like, like how did everybody go, yes! I don't, I, I don't know why everybody said yes. Um, was it like spontaneous? No, we had, a, we had a democratic vote. We went through all the other proposals and we had this kind of semi-democratic vote and thing as to what proposal to follow and uh, mine I believe was unanimous or nearly unanimous so we started it and we spent three maybe four I, I think we had three weeks of building and a couple weeks of research um, and we built this very very fast and very very broken and very very painful first draft of a week for lost time um, with a, a group of artists who were all very, very good on their own, but we were not very happy together. Um, and it was kind of a high-stress, rough process. Um, and a fascinating overnight show with a lot of, a lot of emotions. And then um, from there, uh, the group of us that formed the collective wanted to continue to develop this work. Uh, and so... Once opportunities presented, presented themselves, we um, started to draft another version of the work over the summer of 2014. Um, and then we went into a creating period with a few other artists. So Kevin Reese and uh, Katie Sly and Jennifer Eggerty uh, came on on that show. And we built a new version which took some of the material from the initial piece and then we constructed some new material for that show. And you saw that one. Um, and then we performed that version of Wake Again in Hamilton a few months later. And then we rebuilt the show uh, largely. We, we had some pieces that continued through, but we went into another creative process for last summer's uh, SummerWorks performance, uh, which was, I think, us closing in on the definitive version of Wake. The problem with, with this show is that you can't dramaturg a 24-hour show until you do the 24-hour show. And even when you reconstruct it, um, having done it, you still don't exactly know... we Because we're not building a two-and-a-half-hour show. We're building a 24-hour show. And so you can't rehearse it. You don't know how it works. You don't know how the body's going to break down or what's going to happen over the course of the night until you do it. And each time you do it, you're like, oh, we're getting closer. This is getting close to what the 24-hour show is. But it's, it's always a thing that you're chasing. I think that's the reason I like it. It's, it's, it's like a white whale show. 
I feel like every artist has to have like a white whale or two. Um, this is certain, Wake for Lost Time is one for me, at least right now. All right, you jumped way ahead of me. Sorry. Let me go, no, that's fine. Let me go, uh, let me just say, first of all, um, you, I have to believe that when you're talking about the white whale, you're talking about the great white whale as depicted by uh, Melville in Moby Dick. That one, yes. Meaning it's, a, it's an all-consuming quest that can never be realized. Yes. Okay, we got that done. Uh, just for um, a timetable, just want to make sure that it's clear that the summer works happened in August 2015. Yes. Now... I want to bring you back, Michael, okay. to January 14, uh, 2014. Yes. Now, um, if I understand correctly, it's at the end of that three-month period that you guys come up with Wake. And then you uh, are given two and a half weeks to put it together. Mm-hmm. Now, is this the, what you call uh, the first time you did it? Yes. Meaning January 2014. Yes. Where did you do it? Uh, we did it at the uh, Theatre Passamari Backspace. Uh, we did it for one night, which is... One performance. We, which is all we ever do with it. It, it. it takes three weeks to recuperate from this show. Three weeks Usually. to recuperate. Yeah. Um, the Perhaps we'll talk about this later, but... Uh, in During the Summer Work show, when I, when I called you... Uh, I, I phoned Hiller World... Um, the day after our summer work show. And it is very rare that I, I speak to anyone for at least the first day after Wake because you feel, I, it's stupid sounding, but you feel kind of emotionally and spiritually exhausted. There's You've said everything there is to say in 20 Why is that hours. stupid? Why does that... Why, I, don't, I don't know if it is. I think it's... It's I, not remotely stupid, like doing anything... Um, with uh, full concentration and energy for 24 hours, like, like, what do you expect? Yeah, yeah, the show nearly kills everyone. It's, uh, it's, it's great. Okay, so, um, so here we are now in the Passamari backspace, which is a very strange space. It is, um, I would say, super rectangular, and it goes and it ascends from ground level to a, a, a really, you know, a big height. I don't know how many feet I'm, you know, but it's just, uh, yeah. it's basically, it's like walking up a long set of stairs. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, did you use the entirety of the uh, Passamari backspace? We did. Um, we used... Though the vast majority of the performance happened on stage and in the there's a there's kind of a a catwalk beside the audience space and so we use the catwalk, um, but well um, that space simply was not correct for our show, um, but it was the space we had and we made do. Um, part of isn't it sorry isn't it great to do a show in a space that's not good. Because then you just know, okay, next time we need A, B, C, D, and we must at all costs avoid E and F. Yeah. Yeah, it creates, it, it teaches you what the show is. I mean, the shows have a way of developing a personality for themselves. And uh, sometimes, or, or at least I'm, I'm learning in, in, in whatever stage I'm at in my learning, uh, 
that I, it's funny. Uh, I was chatting with, with uh, one of the members of my collective the other day talking about um, trying to create a show on spec, <laughs> um, trying to speculate what the show is going to be in advance of the show. There's so much that you, 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 you know, the, the work needs to actually be embodied before you actually get a real sense of what the work is. No matter that, uh, maybe there are some people who can build a show in their mind. Uh, I have no idea. Perhaps you will, if yes. there's anyone. Um, That's pretty fair, isn't it, Magda? Yeah. Yeah. That actually does not surprise me. It's something I can't do. I need to see the thing, in, I need to see how the thing breathes before I can before I can do anything with it. Maybe that's why your work is not identical to mine. True. True. Though I don't know whose work is identical. Well, I suppose there are some works that are identical to each other in this world, aren't there? Ish. Ish. Okay. Or at least works that follow the same... In fact, there's an awful lot of works that follow the same kind of principles. And, uh, like, for example, the, quote, well-made play, unquote. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, I might as well just say this right now, I mean, the reason why you're such a thrill to me is because I've basically given up totally on Toronto theatre because I'm just sick and tired of going to see shows and being bored. I have walked out, uh, I am a, like my best, uh, I'm one of the best walkers outers of the entire Toronto audience. <laughs> I, I, I have, I, I. I have no tolerance for for boredom. You've got to keep my interest, and and I basically try to be fair. You know, I say like twenty minutes or thirty minutes, and if I'm not pleased, then um, it's just like I go, okay, I'm going to give you ten minutes more, and then if you don't like grab me in those ten minutes, then uh, I sneak out. Okay. Um, which does bring me... Okay, so I'm trying to say two things at once, which yeah. is very typical. So what was so thrilling for me about Wake for Lost Time is that I was thrilled. I was... I was... I, I, I just... Uh, I, it was like a revelation. It's like there is actually someone or a group in Toronto that can do work that, um, that blows me away. Um, I'll talk maybe a bit more about that later, but I do want to ask you one question about the, um, uh, the, I've got a couple of questions about the 24 hours. First of all, I didn't say anything about it being intermissionless, which isn't quite true yeah. because, um, uh, you do go out for cigarette breaks. Yes. But then, uh, but, and when people go out for cigarette breaks, it's relatively infrequent and there is nothing else happening in the space. It's not like a so-called scene is happening in the space and the three people who are not in the scene can go out and have a cigarette. Right. In fact, I can't think of almost anything that, that uh, where all members are not involved in any given thing, in any given section of, wait, sure, the focus may be on that girl over there, but ultimately there, there is a tension most of the time or an involvement between, uh, between all members of, or between all of the performers. Okay, but still, um, uh, I remember another thing um, a, uh, from the last incarnation that I saw, which was the uh, Summerworks incarnation. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you called it the feast, or was it the banquet? The feast, yeah. The feast. And um, that was pretty much of a break, wasn't it? 
in just in the sense that that was that was that was very uh, you know you laid out a, a I don't know a piece of cloth mm -hmm. and everybody got utensils and and different things of food and you all sat around in you know on the border and you ate and you talked and uh, and there was no script whatsoever and people could come and and uh, steal some of your food steal not being the right word because you were always happy to share it um, and um, and then at one point uh, that was over. Mm -hmm. So that felt kind of like an intermission. It felt kind of like a, um, uh, like a break. But the, I think what I'm also trying to say is that the thing um, which I admired particularly about, um, about Wake, which I don't think I've ever told you before, and that is um, the sense of fluidity, the sense of fluidity within the piece. Don't you agree with me, Michael, that there is no climax, that there is nothing that you're building up to? No, 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 no. Um, absolutely not. There's, there is nothing. The, the piece simply changes and then it ends. Um, the, the piece over time, over the, over the doing of the piece, uh, it changes the physical space. Uh, it creates many things and just like memories sometimes depending on how long the audience have been there um and destroys many things including food and objects uh it has many interactions with the audience um but the the only thing that really changes other than the performers all slowly dying out over the course of the show uh is the physical space the physical space after 24 hours is marked by however it is marked by by however these performance and ritual actions have marked it, and that is the culminating thing of those twenty four hours. Um, so there's a transformation of the space that happens over the course of twenty four hours. Yeah, um, and then we sit in it for a period of time, and then it's ripped down immediately. And um, the, the thing also that I wanted to say is that um, uh, uh, what I liked so much about Wake was the sense of dynamics. Mm -hmm. In other words, you weren't going full throttle, so to speak, all the time. Um, I should be very careful how I say, how I say this because uh, when I say full throttle, that feels like an expanding... Uh, expending an awful lot of energy, whereas you can, uh, what I'm trying to say is that throughout the thing, uh, throughout your piece, there was an intensity level uh, throughout, except for the feast. Um, but there was always this intensity level, whether it was um, expressed in an energetic way or expressed in a very peaceful, calm tranquil, gentle way, mm -hmm. there was still that intensity uh, uh, underneath that. So I, I just, uh, that's really difficult to do, and um, I, way to go. It's amazing what solidarity does. Uh, solidarity is a word I didn't understand for a long time. Um, and in doing this show, I'm starting to at least get a version of it. 
Um, a version, not a version. Oh, a right, a version. Um, uh, but one of the rules of this show is that nobody, with the exception of the feast where everybody eats and the audience sometimes joins us and we engage with the audience in that space and we engage with each other and we get to, um, and, and we have to eat, frankly, or else we'd pass out. Um, we lose an awful lot of water and calories over the course of the show. But beyond that, during the, the, the rest of the time, the actors are always, even when they're not performing, um, quote-unquote, when they're not doing a set text or a set choreography, one of the rules is that those, those actors have to be deeply engaged with the piece as um, um, adopting a spectator position, but a supportive spectator position. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which means that you are, which means that you are paying close attention to whoever is talking or yeah. whoever is moving or whoever is singing. Yeah, and it takes a huge amount of work. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, now, tell me. Um, why don't you tell me about the first, more about the first time you did it? Like, let me give you a couple of, let me give you an easy question. Uh -huh. um, how many people attended? Oh, I have... Roughly. Um, okay, so this, this, this piece was funny. I have to, I have to like digress before I try to explain this. Um, because Theatre Past Mirai, though we were doing a 24-hour show, due to, I believe, the backspace working under some sort of rules that involved unions and things, uh, we could only have audience for, or no, it was due to the box office, actually. Uh, we could only have audience for three segments of three hours. So this show was torturous because we only had audience for nine hours, but performed a 24-hour show nonstop. Um, so for 15 hours of that play, uh, the only thing we had was anyone who might be watching us via like online over the internet and so we it was it was horrifying there were you know 12 12 actors 11 actors in that piece and plus technicians plus technicians doing a non-stop show um that was quite deeply engaged with the audience with no audience for 15 hours um and it was just suffering in the black box of the TPM backspace. Uh, it was a really rough night. Okay. Um, how... One of the things I think that keeps me living is being stunned again and again by the sheer ignorance of people and by the sheer stupidity of people. Yeah. Now, how... Help me, God, how is it possible for a theater to give you their space but then come up with some kind of asinine rule that says performer, uh, audience members can be accepted for three hours at, I'm going to make this up, at 9 o'clock, uh, 11 o'clock, and 2 a.m.? Like, I, like... Like, 
like, Pastor Ryan, did you want people to see this? Or did you have no faith in it? Which then, of course, raises the question, why did you uh, get them to do it in the first, or let them do it in the first place? Or, or like, like I, I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. Like, is there no way to, like, hello, um, elephants does not belong, even though you might not have been called elephants at the time, mm -hmm. you did not belong to a union. You weren't working to union with yeah. union members. You were working in a union house, meaning past Mirai, but... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the rationale behind it was was something that at that point I was so busy trying to make the trying to make a draft of the show somehow work uh, that I didn't really it, it was it was it was simply moot. It was it was a it was a point that was not <laughs> not deeply necessary to address. I mean, TPA uh, Theater Past Mirai um, has been very good to us after wake so i mean um but that was that was a that was a difficult circumstance <laughs> um that said um they have the possibly the one thing that kept us going um was the technician who was there who runs the backspace who is has been a wonderful advocate of our work um he could have gone home at about two o'clock in the morning and just realized since we had no audience for the next seven hours that he was just going to sit in the theater and be with us for the show. Um, and he continues to keep coming to our 24-hour shows since. Uh, but he probably got us through that night without killing each other. And um, give me a sense of... of uh, I'm, I'm staying with the January show, your very, very first one. Hmm. Um, what did you, uh, what caused the, uh, the, I'm going to say animosity, is that correct? There was some animosity. <laughs> what else was there? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a group, it was, it's, it's a tricky thing. Collectives are a really tricky thing uh, at the best of times. Which is why I avoid them. Fair. Um, and they're tricky. Not that my work, making my work isn't <laughs> Tremendously tricky it's, proposition, anyway. Oh yeah, and it's but at least I, you know, effort. at least that's one hurdle I don't have because I don't think I could even make my work in a collective. Perhaps not. I mean, not not all people can. Uh, Lord knows that many of the artists who have worked in our collective come to realize we can't work in a collective. Um, in in this one in particular, the artists were all brought together by Theatre Passmerai. Everybody was strangers. Many of us didn't know any of our each other's work. Um, Sorry, let me so let me get this straight. When you started at the beginning of the three month period, nobody knew each other, or perhaps knew each other in a very vague way. We had a we had a we had a first so so I mean to to perfect the timeline. We had a three month period, and then we had uh, four months off, and then we had another three month period into the first wake for lost time. But in the initial three month period, um, I had taught one of the people at, uh, at, at Ryerson and otherwise we all, you know, a couple of people knew each other vaguely, but we were all strangers that they threw into a room together and they said work together. Um, and so inevitably in making a 24 hour show in two and a half to three weeks with a group of people who had maybe spent 
you know, in total 90 hours together over the course of the year and then throwing us into, you know, uh, a three-week intensive to build a 24-hour show, um, things are going to fray really quickly. Uh, and they did. Um, <laughs> and the show... The, shouting at each other? Uh, that happened. There was there was some shouting um, and there were some tears and there were some bad days and there were people who just wanted to get the show done and there were people whose voices weren't being heard and... Did people, like, things. walk out and cool off and come back in half an hour? Everybody came back. Everybody did the show. Um, some... But people did actually walk out of rehearsals and then come back or... Yes. Um, it was a bad process. Um, because And nobody knew each other. And nobody had worked together. Um, I mean, I at that time... like And and as much as Wake is, is, is a thing that... that has been a major focus of, of my, my thoughts and my time as an artist. Um, when I started with that emerging artist group, I had quit, I had previously kind of quit theater for a number of years. And so this was certainly my first foray back into, into making again. Um, and so, you know, everybody, there was, there was no history in the room for us to hold on to, nor was there a piece or a shared experience to allow us to navigate that group. Um, so inevitably it turned into a, a really painful process and an and a extremely painful 24 hours. Um, and yeah. did you, okay, I know that you had this flash of an idea of a 24-hour show, but is there... Did ideas come out afterwards to bolster the idea of a 24-hour show? Was there anything that said it's got to be a 24-hour show as opposed to a 20-hour show or a 30-hour show? Um, why did it have to be? Uh, why did it have to be 24 hours? Uh, the ritual. So um, we were thinking about time, and we were thinking about uh, ritual, and we were thinking about things like wakes. And we did a re and we did research in kind of at least uh, some preliminary research, which is then you know for the initial one, which has then grown quite uh, in in quite some respects. Uh, and we were looking at you know the overnight process of like things like the Irish wake and many of the other cultural wakes have kind of this this notion of overnightness. Um, we were thinking in terms of a wake for time, how it seemed appropriate that um, the, the measurement of a day be kind of an appropriate uh, structure um, for this piece to inhabit. Um, but initially, uh, those were, other than, you know, kind of research that, that kind of said 24 hours is the thing, uh, that was pretty much all that was driving it. Um, we were, again, we researched very quickly before we went into this first three-week process. Um, that was another one of the problems with the piece, of course, because there was so little research and so little time. Uh, and we didn't have any mo like when we were working together in that group, we didn't have things like, uh, like a training that we did together or anything else. We had nothing. Uh, there was no vocabulary in that group. Um, no common language. Yeah. Um, and from there, uh, but that was the space where we kind of cut our teeth and we're like, whoa, we should never do that again. Or we need to, uh, we need to find ways to speak, um, 
and speaking can be, you know, both in words and research, but also in training. How do we speak within, um, within a physical space as bodies inhabiting space? Um, and so that really difficult process became a catalyst for a lot of how we work now. Um, one thing that did happen in that process is uh, Thomas McKechnie, uh, the playwright I mentioned earlier, um, and I started uh, dramaturging um, the work together. And The two of you. Yeah. Um, and dramaturging outside of the group, um, and then bringing dramaturgical proposals into the work. And that has been... a. a kind of an ongoing and very fruitful uh, methodology for our group. Uh, we've, we've found that dramaturgy can be a mode by which we build um, and create, even sometimes in lieu of a director. Okay. Um, dramaturgy can mean a lot of things. Uh-huh. But you're, you're looking at me as though, oh, God, I knew he was going to hit me on this one. <laughs> All right, so I'm hitting you with this one. Yeah. Um, how did you, say, when you just talked about doing, um, uh, working on dramaturgy with Thomas, what, what are you actually doing together uh, that you call dramaturgy? Sure. Um, so, yeah, dramaturgy means a lot of things depending on what city and what country you're in. Toronto has a, has a long history of script dramaturgy. Yes. Um, that's not something we do. Uh, I mean, I guess we could. We might be. We're working with the script this summer, and that'll be a new thing. But um, for for Thomas and I, we, we, we work with dramaturgy in terms of um, uh, as a structuring agent for the piece. So we could, for instance, have many... Um, we might build many small performance pieces that are first draft performance pieces, and we know that they speak to the themes of whatever the show that we're building is. Um, so part of Thomas and my job, um, and, and now the other members of the collective now work within the dramaturgy, but within this very first wake, it was more, more or less Thomas and I, um, we would look for, we would almost try and step away from those works as a first audience member. How do I read um, the performance object in front of me? Um, and how do I take that reading and relate it to both the framing mechanism of the play, this 24-hour ritual, and the other performances within the play? What is the, um, the, the line of associations, um, at least that we can perceive, or the common general associations um, that we can perceive in the work? And what is the, what is the um, conceptual line that it creates for the audience? So Thomas and I spend a lot of time staring at things um, and thinking about uh, scenes or events or performance things and saying, okay, what does this thing mean in its most general respect? Um, realizing that we can't ever deal in subjectivity, uh, but we can, you know, we know that some... Sorry, what do you mean that you can't deal in subjectivity? Oh, that that uh, the individual audience viewpoint is going to have a stream of associations that and a stream of that uh, they create themselves. Yeah, and that's that what we have no access to. Exactly, um, I agree. 
But there are general things, you know. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for yeah. a moment. And that is, that that's one of my big problems with Toronto Theatre, is because there is this perception on the part of the uh, producer, the director, the, uh, um, the lights designer, that this is how you are going to perceive it. And if we do this, then you are going to feel that. Yeah. And if we put the lights over there in that way, then that's going to make you feel this that's going to arouse this emotion in you. Yeah. Whereas my, I, I, compl I don't buy that one bit. I just, uh, you know, I don't buy it one bit. I, I agree with you. We, I mean, I think we can. There are there are concepts that sometimes we can we can follow in our dramaturgical line. Um, there are you know uh, experiences that many of us have, have felt through shared events in media. We all, you know, pretty much everybody saw 9-11. Um, pretty much everybody saw, you know, uh, this thing. Or can, can see uh, um, uh, a reenactment of, of the man landing on the moon or the Kennedy assassination or something. There are events that, that are somehow common, that are mythologized in our day yes. and age. But what people feel, I mean... I, I can't touch that. It's that's, those are their feelings. I, I can't dramaturg someone's feelings. They're feelings. I can't. I need to be able to put it into words for dramaturgy. I can, you know, within the work, we can deal with rhythms and tempos. We can deal with, you know, um, the energy of the stage. We can create events where um, different audience members are. Um, dealing with the performance event from different viewpoints and perspectives or different levels of engagement. But what people feel is their own thing. I can't touch it. Yeah, nor can I. Nor can I. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, my, uh, I just hope that they, uh, I do my best to create some kind of uh, response, some yeah. kind of uh, uh, engagement, but that may very easily result in you loving it and you hating it even though it's the identical thing and you're actually have got the same perspective in the sense you're sitting side by side which is great which is you know i mean create a space where people can feel what they feel is not your problem i don't think i mean it's nice just to, to know that there are spaces where people can feel i see a lot of things where i feel nothing um you know i feel like many people go through the day and go through the day and feel very little so um to create a space where at least it's possible and appropriate, whatever the feelings are, I think is a start. Okay, so I interrupted you when you were talking about dramaturgy. Mm -hmm. And you were talking a, 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 in a way that I didn't really quite get until uh, until later on. But tell me more about this. like, uh, Or maybe I'll ask you some a couple of questions. Please. Like um, uh, the structure of the um of the 24 hours mm -hmm. how did you come up with the structure or how did you deal with this whole thing of oh my god um our job is 24 hours how are we going to fill this are we going to do it in one hour chunks or half an hour like how did you approach that um we knew uh, i mean that's dramaturgy isn't yeah, it yeah 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 um in the in the initial twenty four hours, uh, it's funny there were there were, there were more unknowns than there are now. Now there are still many unknowns, but just not as many as there were then. 
uh, in advance of ever doing the piece. Uh, we, we knew some things. <laughs> we, we figured out we were building performance materials. We were pro building performance objects. People were building different things. People were creating them collectively. Um, we were reading those things and ordering them, trying to figure out what associations might occur or what themes might follow through if you put, you know, this piece before this piece. And then if you switch those two pieces, well, there would be a different thematic line. So what did that mean? So we could ask questions like that. Uh, by the way, I have a tremendous difficulty with the word theme because I'm not really sure, what, you know, what themes are. I don't know. I, ever since, like, junior high, I, you know, I, I could never, you know, it would be in school. What's the theme of this story? And I would say, I don't know. I could tell you what the story is from beginning to end. I yeah. could tell you who was in it. I could tell you what happened in the story. But the theme eluded me always. I... So... If you can avoid the use of the word theme, unless it's essential, I mean, I know this is just a personal handicap yeah. of mine. Uh, I'm, I'm the same way with if you were to ask me grammar terms, like a gerund, I'd have a breakdown right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they are. And I've tried. <laughs> um, but uh, that there's that if content moves from one performance event and that content reemerges, some way in the second performance event, the audience reads it in in in, in a certain in, uh, through a certain avenue or reads it in a certain way. They right. say, "Oh, that content was mirrored here," and then they can make a line of meaning from it. Whereas if those two events are switched and that same content follows through, um, because the performance events around those that the content is different or in a different order, the reading might be different. So right. the the structure probably will be different yeah. because if you put things in a different order, then they're going to be perceived in that different order. Therefore, they're going to have the effect that that different order creates exactly. on the person who's experiencing it. So in in doing that, that's one dramaturgical goal. But in in wake, there's always this massive problem where you know how do we deal with a piece that is engaging with time and erosion and accretion um and so originally we structured it uh to be a uh which it still is um a two and a half hour or two hour somewhere in there cycle piece that if we where we basically build a two and a half hour show um where if we were to do the show precisely perfectly timed it would be two and a half hours long um, the show is also physically, physically demanding, um, particularly in its current instantiation, where we have... You its, know, current, its current... Uh, its iteration. current... Iteration. Iteration, better word. Um, uh, where, you know, in the, in the two and a half hours, we have a, a seven-minute plank, um, that fitness plank thing, which is also painful. We do for seven minutes every two and a half hours. And we have, you know, a period of dancing and singing as hard as you can, huge outbursts of energy. Um, so if we, if, and it's, it's, it's possible, it's, it's fine to do the show once. It's a hard show to do, but the two and a half hour show is doable. Um, but then that two and a half hour show then continues going for the next 24 hours, 24, for the subsequent, you know, 21 and a half hours that are left after that first performance. And the show either um, gets longer or gets shorter, people break down, people get slower. Um, and so the show no longer is done perfectly. 
Um, it's the, the precision starts to change. People start to improv within the work. Um, people are inspired. Uh, over the course of the very long night that is awake for lost time, people just change. Um, events happen at weird hours, and those events um, are accumulated into the piece. And do those events that happen at weird hours take on a different flavor? Sure. Um, they can be all kinds of strange things. I sing a song in the middle of the show, and I've uh, this the song that I sing was one of the few pieces that was in the the very very first wake for lost time. And it has continued as kind of a, a common part of the show. And um, <clears throat> in, the, in the, the, the September or August 2015 Summerworks version of the show, all of a sudden, in the middle of the song, I've never improv it. I've never changed the lyrics in, you know, 88 hours of this show. I've done that damn song the same way every single time. Um, <clears throat> and then... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and then in the midst of it, uh, this song just changed. <laughs> um, I remember when I saw it in November, you stumbled. And it's the stupidest song. It's like, um, what is that Christmas song? Uh, on the first day of Christmas, there's this and this and this. And yep. then on the second day of Christmas, and then in the refrain, yep. it's, it refers to the first day. And by the time you get to the 10th, day of Christmas, it's on the second day and on the third day and on the fourth day, on the fifth day, you know, I, I, like, isn't that like emblazoned totally on your, in your mind? No, I still slip. After, you sing the song for 24 hours and, <laughs> and you still slip up. Or, or the audience engages with it differently because that song's not so much about the song, it's about the game that, so this is, um, again, the internet, uh, this is a song that um, I invite the audience to sing with me, and it's call and answer song, and um, and so part and the song occurs after an event in the performance that is usually fairly unnerving for the audience, um, and so I have to get up after performing this event that some people are upset by, and some people think are very funny, and some people think all kinds of things about, um, but it's a it's a strong event. And I have to get up, and this song is both an apology, but also more a mode by which we actually contextualize the event that just happened through a children's song. And so I have to stand in front of the audience and invite them to sing with me after they've witnessed something that, you know, some people think is hilarious and some people think is, and is deeply tragic. It references a deeply tragic event um, we have had, uh, it, it is an event in the show which is surprising enough that, you know, people have gotten... And, sorry, this is the event mm -hmm. that, ha you're talking about the event that happens directly before the children's song. Yeah. What was it again? Um, it's the, uh, it's the, the twins piece. Uh, oh, the, uh, the two girls? Uh, no, the, me and the other actress who do a clown piece about two twins in New York, which then turns Okay, into, okay, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, that event, Some I, we had a, a Toronto producer who saw that and he was not having any more of our play. He got up and he was gone, like his chair was on fire. Um, and that, nice. that event is, is, is an interesting one in the show that happens every, every single cycle. Um, and so in this song, I have to try and 
um, contextualize this really horrible event that we have dealt with through Clem. Um, and it's an interesting time for me in the audience. And so, yeah, inevitably I screw up. The audience is always different. Um, I think one thing that I, I should go back to um, in terms of dramaturgy is... Uh, so what we've constructed is this two-and-a-half-hour cycle that happens again and again and again for the 24 hours of the show. Um, and then at a certain point in the show, sometime, usually or traditionally within the last hour, though we never know when, the actors don't have any access to time, um, the show changes dramatically and becomes something else for an undefined period of time and then during this something else uh there is a event that is unscripted that happens with the audience that emerges every single show and then the 24 hours are up and then everybody goes home and then the 24 hours are up and everybody goes home maybe it's time for you to go home because I know you can't stick around for dinner and we are both at the end of our lovely cocktails I know that I have got I could go on and on and on and on about this piece and it's not because it's 24 hours long but because there is so much richness in it um, and I just have more questions and I just have um, um, uh, more questions, and I, I just want to hear more about the experience, but I just, you know what? I feel kind of tired. Okay. I don't mean tired in the sense of, like, I'm going to go to sleep, but I feel like my brain um, has been uh, being filled, and, and I just, uh, and I hope you who, is, who, you who are listening, um, if you've made it this far, I hope that your brain is uh, full also, and... Um, and I hope you're excited as much as I am by the prospect of picking up this conversation um, at a future date sometime really soon. I would love that.